you for choosing iChurch Sermon Podcast. We invite you to get ready, get ready, get ready for what God has to say to you today. I forgot all that season. I, was, I had the blessing yesterday. I had over, um, Pastor Chu is like my, I'm like Pastor Chu's big brother is what we are. But he's like a spiritual son also. And his kids are like my grandchildren. Okay, I don't have grandchildren, but they're like my grandchildren. They've always been. So I made it home last night. When I made it home into the garage, um, I'm going to walk in. And my wife has this rule where you take off your shoes, right? You take off your shoes, and then you walk into the house. And then I was about to take off my shoes, and right, and I, I hate when my family leaves the shoes right in front of the door. I have shelves for that. And I'm OCD, so I want the shoes on the shelf. And I didn't take it off. I didn't take off my shoes. I said, somebody left their shoes, but they were like, like, like this big, the little tiny shoes. They were, they were little converse, really small converse. And I know we don't have anybody that size in my house. I said, so we have to have kids here. As soon as I open up the door, he comes running. Shoes little kid, Jacob, comes running. He goes, Pastor! He goes like that, and he, and he just jumped. And I wasn't expecting. He just jumped. If I wouldn't have grabbed him, the kid would have cracked his head. He just jumped into the air, and I grabbed him. And then when I held him, he took his legs, and he walked up me. He did a backflip. He went, woohoo! And I can't remember. See, all my kids are grown up, so I, my kids used to do that, but I didn't, I didn't remember. And it was so cool. It was so cool to see that enthusiasm. Now I walk home, I'm like, hey, dad's home. Everybody's like, hey. You know, it, it's like, and I, I'm looking at the enthusiastic kid in my house, and I'm just overwhelmed by it. And where I'm going with this is, is that, is that I, I look at how, I forgot how difficult it was because I sit in my office, and he would come, and he would say, he, would say, he wanted to be with me all the time. He was like, he was like is that your iPad? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I need to see it. And I'm like, and I'm like, and I, and I was getting ready for that. I'm like, no, 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 I'm busy, I'm busy. He goes, he goes, and then in Spanish, it's, it's por favor, it means please. So he, he's, he's bilingual. So he goes, por favor, please. Por favor, please. Por favor, please. And I thought, I thought for a second, if I stay quiet, he'll get tired. <laughs> that, that kid could go, I has got energizer batteries. That kid does not stop. He was like, por favor, please. Por favor, please. Por favor, please. And, I, and, I, and then, I thought, then I thought, he's standing and I'm sitting. He'll get tired of just standing there. You know what he did? He's like, por favor, please. And he pushes my, my, my executive chair from my desk, pushes back, and he sits on my lap. Por favor, please. Por favor, please. So what did I end up doing? Showing him some character. I gave him the iPad. So now he has my iPad and he's playing games. He's playing the games. And I told him, my, I told him, I told him, I don't have games. I said, listen, I don't have games. But if you want to try, does your daddy's have games? And he says, no, my mommy's. And I said, I, and then I said, okay, here, take, take the iPad. And yeah, I don't have games. It took the kid less than five minutes to find the game on my iPad. I didn't know I had games on my iPad. And the kid found the game on my iPad. He's playing on my iPad. And then he kept, and he's, and he's like, and then I said, okay, now he's going to play that. And just, I, then I, I just leave him. And then I, I, all I could hear was the little machine thing of the game going. I can't, I can't because I'm, I'm, I'm ADD and I can't, I can't focus if I have noise when I'm studying. So I, so I, I remembered my, 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 when I used to travel a lot, I have this really good set of, of, um, of headphones and they're noise canceling so I plug them in and I put them in I noise canceled and I'm there then all of a sudden he's tugging on the cord to my headphone I, and I, I go what is it he goes, he goes I want juice please por favor por favor por favor I said go 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 tell pastora go tell go tell there's a lot of people in the house go tell somebody else and he's, he's like he's like he's like no come on por favor please por favor please and what did I do I went and I got him some juice so now the kid has me getting him juice. And here's the thing. After about, I, then I looked at him. I said, you know what? If you can't beat him, what do you do? Join him. 
So they were, they, were, they were there, and I said, I said, you know what? I said, what are you guys doing? He said, we're going to play. So then I put my foot in, and they did the whole, um, it's a new, it used to be Mickey Mouse built a house when it was my time, but now they got a whole new song that I didn't know, and they were doing the thing with the foot, and they're canceling. And it's, it's, so, easy to, it's so easy to fool kids because the last person says a number, and then you count. There's six of us. Right? There's six of us playing. So I got my foot like this, and, and it would always, like he would, um, his older son, Jeremy, would always start with the same foot and count. And it was always, and so I know if it's going to go uh, into an even number or an odd number. So what I'm saying, I'm, right now I'm confusing everybody. <laughs> the thing is, if you do the math, you could control the game. So I kept on controlling the game, leaving the last one. And I know he's afraid of the dark. Okay, and we're playing hide and seek in the house. And I know he's afraid of the dark. So he kept on, when, when they were going to play, he came over. He says, can you play with us, the older kid? And I know he's afraid of the dark. And I, I said, why? He says, because I, I because I want to play with you. And it's not that. He's afraid of dark. So I joined him, and I'm in there, and I'm playing, and I'm getting, and I left him for last. And he was like, he was like, and when he was last, it was him and his little brother. And how old is Jacob? Three? Three. He's three years old. And his older brother's what? Six. So his older brother says, his older brother stops for a second and scratches his head. And I think he picked up that I was counting, and I always, I, I got them to be last. So he started doing his mind. three one two three oh no it's me <laughs> he ended up being it so then he looks at me i said okay i'll be it and we played hide and seek where am i going with this i played hide and seek we all hid right we all hid had fun game was over okay then we then they said let's play again and then we all hid and the game was over and then they're like okay let's play again i'm like wow i really don't want to play this game anymore in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't, I'm thinking about how productive I could be doing anything else but playing hide and seek with these kids. We played for like, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to give up. Half an hour later, the kids are still playing, and I'm thinking in my mind, how can you spend more than half an hour playing hide and seek? And I said, they're going to give up. They never gave up. Where am I going with all this? Where I'm going with all this is I forgot how hard it was to have little kids in the house. I forgot how hard it was. You know, you forget it. So two kids is hard, three is hard, four is hard. I thought raising teenagers was hard. Well, there was a hard season when I had when they were little kids. My kids are all getting married and leaving now, and I'm, you know, it's a different phase. So where I'm going at, two is hard, three is hard, six is hard, ten. Imagine a family of 15. Hey, imagine a family of 20 or 30. Moses pulled out of Egypt over 3 million people to lead as a spiritual father. And they went into the desert, and check this out, guys. All the time, you know what they were doing? Come on, please, come on, please. Come on, come on. Three million people out of Egypt took him to the desert. He's in the desert with three million complaining family members, and his, his, including his sister, biological, and his brother, and they're driving him crazy, and they're telling him where he's failing. And he said, what? You really have to be so purposeful to be able to do that. And he gets them to the promised land. How does one man become so useful and so purposeful? How does one man achieve such greatness? How does one, how can you run a family? How can you run a business? How can you, how can you succeed? How can you have a great ministry? How can you be that perfect blender when you were called to be a blender? How can you be that perfect pizza cutter if you were called to be a pizza cutter? How do you do this? How did Moses make it? How do you make it? How do you make a marriage survive? How do you make your kids be where they're supposed to be? How do you do this? How do you, get, how do you achieve that greatness? Moses 
gives us a solution. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, this great man with such a pur purposeful life tells us exactly how he did it. 33, 7 says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Pastor, how did he achieve it? Right there. Moses pitched a tent outside the camp some distance away, outside, hence, outside, focus, outside the camp. It wasn't his house. Well, I can have church at my house. No, no, he says he did it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. You want to know how Moses survived? You want to know how he was purposeful in his life? You want to know how he knew what he was born for? You want to know how he achieved it? He did church. Can I get an amen? Moses did church. You know, if I go back into the history of this, in Exodus chapter 25, God is speaking to Moses, and God tells Moses, hey, Moses, I want you to go build a tabernacle where I'm going to dwell in it, and I'm going to be there with you. That's what he says to him. And look what Moses does. Moses, in, in, in Exodus chapter 33, the tabernacle is not built. And I want, you, I, want, I want to put you into a scenario. The people of God, his family had gone berserker. They were doing everything wrong, like our kids, like our family, like our work, like at like church sometimes. They were doing everything wrong. They had ornaments. They were worshiping. And here comes Moses and he's frustrated and he tells these guys guys what are you doing you're unfocusing from God so Moses decides to just go and he grabs he grabs the tent he grabs a tent let's say it is a tent he grabs a tent and he intentionally says I'm going to worship God that's what he does he's, he's intentional about it he, Moses says I can't get this to work I'm going to freak out. I can't make it in life. And because he feels he can't make it, because he feels he's about to give up, Moses decides to be intentional. And what Moses does is, I don't have that tent built yet, God, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. He grabs a piece of cloth. He grabs it. I'm going I'm I'm to take a tent right now. He grabs a tent and he goes out. He pitches the tent away from the camp. And he says, I'm going to meet with God under this tent. I'm going to have a place of meeting. He called it the place of meeting. Moses was intentional about being at church. He was intentional. He, he was focused. He knew that to have, driven, to have a purpose-driven life, he would have to be able to have time alone with God. And you say, Pastor, yes, but you can do that in the intimacy of your room. You can. But he literally went out there and he had an intentional meeting with God. And not just did he have an intentional meeting with God, but it became a habit that not just him, but look at the, next, look at the second part of that verse. Anyone inquiring, who? Anyone. Who? was it? Anyone inquiring. Anyone who wants to know. Look at the person next to you, next to you and say, do you want to know? Ask him. Ask him. Go ahead. Help me. Help me. Help me. Look at the person behind you. Say, excuse me. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Look, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to what? To what? To the tent. What tent? The tent of meeting outside the camp. Moses set a standard and an example. Here, let me, let me tell you something. For those that like to jot down notes. You should because it helps you. Here's something I want to tell you. Relationships equal influence. Are you hearing that? Relationship equals influence. It could be bad influence. It could be good influence. But when you create a relationship, it's going to be an influence on your life. You can't have a relationship without any influence. It's impossible. If you relate to somebody, that person is going to be an influence. So if you relate to a bad person with bad habits, it's going to be a bad influence on you. 
If you relate to good people, it's going to be a good influence. Moses grabbed the tent and he walked out and he pitched it and he would meet with God. And he was, because he had a relationship with them, now they were doing the same thing. But they didn't focus on this. They were saying, hey, if Moses finds God out there and we want to inquire about God, we're going to go out there too. We're going to, if, if, we're, we, we, we have a relationship with Moses and Moses finds God there. So I mean, he set a standard. He set an example and the rest followed. He set an example, and the rest followed. Mom, dad, are you listening? Can I get an amen? You set an example, and they will follow. True example, they will follow. I promise you they will follow. I'm a, I'm a witness to them following because you set an example. I live it in my personal life. You set an example. Tell me what you do. I'll tell you how they're going to end up. Pastor, my kids are all grown up, so are mine. Set an example, and they will follow. It's never too late. Wives over husbands, set an example, and they will follow. Husbands, husbands, I wish my wife was just, what, what example are you setting for her? What are, you, what are you doing for your wife? Here, the other day I got home, and I was angry, and, and I got home, and I was, I, I can't even remember why I was angry, but I was angry, and I was stressed out, and I've been working long hours this weekend, and I got home, maybe it was just that, I was tired, and I got home, and I was in a bad mood, and my wife said something. Oh, I remember what it was. She turned to me. She said, she said, we need to put gas in the car. And I said to her, and I said to her, she's sitting right in the front row right now. She said, and she said, and she, and she said you need to put, we're leaving to some place. The day, the day before, she says, the gas tank is full. You need to put gas in the car. And I'm like, I, I don't get that. It's full. Why would I put gas in the car if it's full? So I turned to her. She says, because I already filled it up. So if we're going to use it, remember to fill it up again. And I said, Okay. Next morning, we wake up, we hop in the car, and we're leaving. When we're leaving, the first thing she turns to me and says is, what? You have to put gas in the car. I turned to her. I said, okay, got it, honey. We make it, we make it to where we're going, which is a conference in South Carolina. When we're making it, when we're driving, we're approaching South Carolina. She turns to me. She says, honey, don't forget, gas for the car. I said, all right, honey. I, we got this. Got this. We make it to South Carolina. We go to the conference. We walk out of the conference. We walk out of the conference. And sit in the car, what did she say? Honey, you need to put gas in the car. Okay. We make it further up, and when we're making it to North Carolina, she turns to me, she says, we left South Carolina, and the gas was cheaper there. You should have put gas in the car. And then I think, let me reason and explain to her why I have not stopped to put gas in the car. But then I said, let me stay quiet. She looks over, looks at the gauge, and she says, how much do you have left? I said, like one-fourth of a tank. She said, it was full. And I said, yeah, that's enough. That'll, that'll make it home. But you know what? It's raining and it's cold. What I'm going to do is I'm going to park the car in the garage because we have three cars, and I'm going to park it. And tomorrow morning, I'll put gas in the car. We're driving home, and we're about to turn in home. We're about to turn in. And we're about to turn. She says, you never put gas in the car. And I look over her. I said, yeah, no, because we're going to put it in tomorrow because it's cold. And she says, well, in the morning, I got to take the girls to school, and the car is empty now. And I said, yeah, but don't worry. Then I'll, I'll wake up early in the morning, and I'll take them, and I'll put gas in the car. I think it's enough to take them to school. And then we turn the traffic light, and we drive into the driveway, and we open the garage, and when we sit in the car, guys, no lie, I parked the car and I turned, I turned to her and she says, should have put gas in the car. 
I lost it. I lost it. I lost it. I said, yep, yep, get out. I said, get out, get out. I got this, I got this. She's just, just, what's wrong with you? And I said, get out, get out, I got this, get out, get out, get out, I got this, I got this. She said, where are you going? Said, I'm going to go put gas in the car. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And she says, you don't have to be feisty about it. No, 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 no. Everybody, everybody. I turned to my kids behind me. Everybody, out, 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 out. I got to go put gas in the car. I got to go put gas in the car. When? Right now. Everybody, out of the car. I got to go put gas in the car. And she turns to me. She says, she says, she says, she says, she says, she says, wow, wow. You're so, why are you being so persistent? Are you being sarcastic? I'm like, no, I just got to put gas in the car. I have to put gas in the car. Right now, we got to put gas in the car. You can leave it for tomorrow. No, 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 no. It has to be done right now. We need gas in this car right now. It's a, no, you crazy. No, no. I got this. Bye. I'm going to put gas in the car. And I just drove over. And you, your pastor, well, I'm being real with you. I lost it. I was freaking out. And then, and then here's the thing. I'm pumping gas into the car. And the first thing that's running through my mind is, the first thing that runs through my mind is when I'm pumping the gas in the car is like, Man, after I pumped this gas in this car, what I, wanted to do, I just want to drive around and waste it. I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go. I just, I just, just wait and, and, and text her and text her and text her. I filled it up, emptied it again, going to fill it up again. You know? Because it was so important to her, you know? And then, then I got home and I walked in. And when I walked in, you could, you know, there's tension. I know you guys don't, I know your marriages are perfect. It's not like that. But there was, ten, you know, there's tension. And then I walk in and there's tension. I grabbed something and I drank something. And I'm sitting at the, at the dining table. And she walks by. She's like, you know, and there's just, just this tension between us. And we go to bed and, and she's sitting next to me. And I, we have a rule. And it's a golden biblical rule. Don't sleep in separate beds. That hurts. That'll hurt your marriage forever. Um, we also have a rule. Try to pray together at night. Because if you can't pray together, that means something went wrong. And you've got to fix it before the next morning. Because the Bible says don't let the sun come up over your anger. And we were there. So I turned around and I said good night. And I kissed her arm. And I kissed her arm, but we didn't pray together that night, and I went to sleep, and I woke up, and the tension was there. And then in the morning when I'm praying, God says to me, God says, I said, God, I don't want this in our relationship because we have a very healthy, good marriage. If, if you ask me from a 1 to 10 how healthy our marriage is right now, I want to say 10, to be honest with you. I know it sounds prideful, but I want to say 10. That's how healthy our marriage is. And we don't have arguments over stupid things like this anymore. We just let them go. We, we at, I don't know what happened at some point in our life, and I think it's when we moved to North Carolina, we looked at each other, and we realized she lost her family, I lost my family, I looked at each other, and it hit me. I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. I'm not going to make every day miserable. I'm going to make every day the best I can. If we got to stick to each other, we're going to be the best we can, because relationships cause influence. So I want to be a good influence to you. So I, I, I knelt down in the morning. I said, God, I got to get this right. But God, she was just driving me crazy with that gas in the car. You know, and I'm telling, I'm telling God this. I'm telling God this. And, and here's what God, and I said, and the whole issue of not putting gas in the car made it so difficult for her. And here's what God told me. Why didn't you just put gas in the car? So who really made it bad, her or me? It was me. You're like, Pastor, no, she was bickering. I should have just, how did it hurt me to stop and put gas in the car? didn't hurt me. Pastor, it was raining. Well, the, the way I know, and I think most of you know, most garages have a roof anyway over them. It was no big deal. I should have just listened to her. 
Well, Pastor, she should have submitted to you. About what? About not having gas in the car? What makes more reason if you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and somebody's hurt and you got to jump into the car and you run out of gas halfway to the hospital? She was right all the way around, but all I could think about is how I was right. Pastor, what are you saying? Our relationship is going to cause an influence. The way I behaved caused an influence on her. The way she behaved caused an influence on me. When Moses got up, he knew he needed a relationship with God. So he went into a tent intentionally because he knew that if he went to church and he sat down in church, he would be with God and that influence would be a good influence on him. You're influenced by people Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, you have a chance to get influenced by God. Let me, let me, let me, hear, let me hear something. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If relationships cause influence, here's something I got to ask you. If relationships cause influence, who are you, who do you have relationships with? Think about it for a second. Who do you talk to over the phone? Who drives you crazy? Who do you talk to at work? Who do you spend a lot of time with? That's your influence. And here's what I'm telling you. How much time do you spend with God? Because it helps you so, so, so much. Shouldn't, shouldn't logic say, I need to spend more time in the tent? More time in the tent will cause a greater influence in my life. But we don't think that way. Moses went, he saw the people freaking out and doing it wrong. And when everything was chaotic, he grabbed the tent and he went out and he pitched the tent. He said, all right, God, it's just you and me, baby. Come on, come on, help me. I need you, Jesus. And he had church with God. Pastor, he was doing his personal devotional. No, 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 no. Don't blow it out of proportion. Don't come tell me what it's about. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about him going and doing church because he set the example for everybody else to go to the tent and it became a custom. And because of that, we have church today. Pastor, but that was an Old Testament thing. That's not a New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, you needed to go to the tent. Now Jesus resides in all of us. Ah, stop being so legalistic. You don't know Scripture. Hebrew chapter 10, verse 20 and on talks about how Jesus, if I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it. I know it's not in production. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you. So, well, pastor, in the Old Testament, you needed, to go to ch- you needed to go to church to be able, you need to go to the tent to be able to presence God. But once, you're, once the new grace came and Jesus cried on the cross, now the Holy Spirit dwells in me, I have no need of church, yeah? Then explain to me why Paul writes to the Hebrews and he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, he says, now I could go there by a new living way opened for us through the curtain, the veil, that is the body, Jesus allows me now to be close to the body allows me now to be close to his presence he allows me to go into the holy place and since we have a great priest over the house of God since now I have Jesus Christ let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the faithful assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled with cleansedness he's talking about the mercy seat of us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Your pastor, I still don't get it. Keep on reading. Um, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. He says, let us hold on to this. For, for, For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Look what he says. Look what he's telling the Hebrews. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. He says, and let's get together. We're at verse 25. Not giving up. This is in grace under grace with Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, him speaking to the Hebrews that had lost the custom. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all more as you see the day approaching. 
Paul writes to the Hebrews and he says, now that I'm in abounding grace, I need to be able to not stop gathering in the meeting, in the tent. The way he says it is in the assembly is the word he uses. I need to go. Paul is saying, now that the veil has been torn and I have access to the presence of God, I should be there more often because there's a greater influence when I'm in there. I should be in church as much as I can because the more I have a good relationship with a godly atmosphere, the better my spiritual walk would be with God. So, so, so going, back, going back to Moses, going back. Pastor, so how, how should I feel about the whole church issue? How should, how should we feel as believers with the whole church issue? Here it is, verse 9, verse 8, I'm sorry. Um, as, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people, what did they do? They rose and, what did they, and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Talk about respect for the house of God. All stood. Nowadays with contemporary movement, and I'm very contemporary, I'm very modern, I'm very, I, 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 I believe we aren't under the law anymore, but, but don't you think it's a certain way that the house of God has lost a little bit of respect? I think people just like, like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, oh yeah, we should allow coffee inside the sanctuary. I'm not saying that. You are the sanctuary. It's, it's just a building. You know, but, but, but it's like the hats on the altar. Hats, well, we shouldn't allow hats on the altar. Why? Because God wrote it in scripture somewhere. I can't find it. Patrick, it's a sign of respect. A sign of respect. What if, what if, what if I could prove to you that women shouldn't go into the house of God in the Bible without a mantle over their head? Wouldn't you be disrespectful if you walked in here without one over your head? So, Pastor, you want us to put cloths over our head? No. What I'm saying is that under grace, none of that is for salvation. When I say respect to the house of the Lord, what I'm talking about is a respect of honor. The, the, the attitude should be, man, I walked into the house of God. Thank you, God. God, I love being in your house. There should be this, 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 this overwhelming. Pastor, no, the Bible says that Moses, Moses would walk to the tent and that everybody would stand up. They weren't standing up for the tent. They were standing up for Moses. Really? Really? Do you believe that's what it says? Okay, then I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Watch. Um, Sheldon, you're the campus leader, so it's like a campus pastor to us. You're kind of our Moses in this congregation. So let's do something. I want you to please do an illustration with me. Stand up. Go out that door for a second. Okay, go out that door for a second. And you're going to go out. Just go out that door and listen to my voice out there. I'm going to ask you to just walk back in. That's all you got to do. Just walk back in. All right? There's Moses. He's going. He's going. He's going. He's going. He's going. He's going. He's gone. Okay. Now, come in, Moses. Come in. Come in. All right, now he comes in, see? And there's Moses coming in. You're like, Pastor, we don't get it. That's Moses coming in. The Bible doesn't say that they stood up when Moses got there. This is what they did. Here, now take the tent with you. Take the tent with you and go back outside and come in with the tent. The Bible doesn't say they stood when Moses walked. It says they stood when Moses walked to the tent when he went there. So now here's Moses with the tent. Let's just do what they did in that time, all right? Everybody, everybody cooperate with me. Moses walks in and they stood. And nobody would move. Keep on walking. He would pitch the tent and everybody would wait. 
just doing it us. Don't you feel a level of respect and reverence in the house? Just doing it. When everybody stood, they didn't like give you like a moment of, oh, it's big. Okay, you may be seated. This living scripture, I'm teaching you how to live scripture. I'm teaching you how to be. I'm transporting you to that place where when it was church time, they were like, ooh, church time. They, were, they, they felt the, the need of influence of God in their lives. Look at my conclusion in verse 9. It says, as Moses went into the tent, where did he go? When church happens, and this is my sermon at 6 o'clock, and if you don't know Spanish, I can't preach it to you, but this is my sermon at 6 o'clock. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, not just a cloud, a pillar. Pastor, why is that important? To those that were with me last month, remember on top of the mercy seat inside, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there was a little cloud, and that was God's presence. This is not a little cloud. This is a pillar of cloud. That's a whole sermon right there. Would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Why did Moses go to church? Why did Moses pitch a tent? Because Moses wanted to speak with God. Pastor, I speak with God in my prayer in my room. I just bow down, and I, I, I could kneel down in my bedroom and speak to God right. But the Bible is saying that when God wanted to hear, when Moses wanted to hear God speak to him, he would go and have church. When you come to church, you come to church under the expectancy that God's going to speak with you. You walk in saying, God, I need you to speak. You have a veil that was removed, and the veil is so you could come confidently into the house of God and say, God, speak into my life. God, speak into my life. That's what you should do. You should come in with that attitude, God speak into my life. You should let the circle of influence be upon you. Here, let me show you. My son, my son teaches the 4 o'clock service, and it's our Young United service, and he's famous for vines. He puts a whole bunch of vines on. If you don't know what a vine is, take a little short video. I made my own vine, and I want to share with you. I want to show you a circle of influence. I want to show you a circle of influence. I, I did this video this morning. I want to show it to you. Dim the lights, please. Dim all the lights. First, dim the lights before anything. Let's get this right in order. All right, production. We're going to dim the lights. Now all the lights are dimmed. Okay, now the lights are dim. Those back lights too, so it doesn't kill the glare. And Valeria, I want you to put up the video that I recorded that I gave you this morning. Not the pictures, the video that I sent you. Mom and dad. In rehearsal. That's rehearsal this morning here. That's her daughter. Nobody out there. They're practicing the song. Look at the daughter. Mom and dad singing. God, now I want, I want, I want you to, now we're going to put it on again, but I want you to see something. Mike is given, was it the tempo of the song? One, two, three, is that it? Okay. So Mike stands here and Mike tells the praise team and the drummer and the bass player. And this morning, early, um, I walk in here. And those are the people that have the blessing. Some of you don't have the blessing. Pastor, what do you mean? You're blessed, but you don't have the blessing. The blessing comes to all those that are working early in the house of the Lord. You get the extra blessing. You walk in when the dew is still on the floor. You walk in before the people get here. You get to walk into the house of the Father. You do a Moses deal when you walk in to serve. That's why serving is so awesome. And here it is. Mike's up here. The sanctuary is empty. And he's like, one, two, three, four, five. He does that, and the praise team starts, and he's marking it down. His wife is standing next to him, and his little daughter, Hallie, is here. I want you to look at her lips to see if you can do, hear what she's saying as she keeps on looking over to her parents who made her wake up this morning early and go to the tent. I want you to look at it one more time and watch this. Okay, watch specifically her lips as she does it.
sober. And she's influenced by her parents. You know what she was doing? You guys, because I, could, I couldn't get the full video. Before that, she's, she's dancing. She's dancing, what she's doing. And she does, when her dad did one, two, three, four, she, she was standing here, and she came up, and this is what she did. She did. And then they started singing, and she was like, you're not a musician or a singer, you probably haven't caught on yet. The girl's going to the temple that her dad is leading her in the house of God. When you come to the house of God, you are an influence to everybody that surrounds you. When you put God first, you have a relationship with the Father. And the Father sets the tempo before you even got here. So when you come in, your job is to do what little Hadley does. Your job is to go with the temple of the moment. Your job is to walk in. When the doors open up in the sanctuary, your job is to run in there and say, okay, this is my time with God. And you close your eyes and you get ready. And there's nothing that sets you aside. It doesn't matter if you're worshiping, if you're in praise team, if you're all the way in the back. You have a veil that's been torn and you have access to the presence of God. So you prepare your heart to go into the presence of a God and you go to the temple. Why? Because the relationship with God is going to cause an influence on you. And the influence on your heart will make God dwell over and upon you to get through the whole freaking week with everybody that's going to drive you crazy and all tough situations you may have and every marital situation, any health situation, it doesn't matter what it is. What's going to make you survive is the influence that you did and what you received when you were in the house of God. It's what happens. Moses finishes his portion showing, saying something in verse 10 that blows my mind away about collective worship. It says, whenever the people saw, listen, when Whenever the people saw, I'm going to repeat that. Whenever the people saw, people are watching. People are looking. People are looking at you right now. People are looking at you this week. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud, when they see the presence of God before you standing at the entrance of the tent, when they know and they hear that God is all over the church you go to, when they see it in your reflections, they all stood and they worshiped each at their own tents. When people look at you and they see the reflection of God in you and your love for your church and your passion and that you have this place of encounter with God, automatically people want to imitate you the way you are close to God. People feel drawn close to that. So if you're going through a tough situation with your kid, if you're going through a tough situation with your marriage, if you're going through a tough situation financially, actually if everything is perfect and in condition and people are just watching you, whatever the scenario is, my question to you is, do you live a purposeful life? Are you living your life to the fullest? Are you fulfilling the ministry God gave you? Are you willing? You guys may have not heard it, but when I put up Jensen's picture up here, and I turned to them, and I said, what are you guys, and what's your purpose? What are you here for? And they had no idea what they were here for. They both stood there and thought, and it was so awesome, because Jensen whispered over the microphone something very cautiously and very quietly, and I don't know if you got it, but this is what he said. Automatically, this is Jensen's response. I said, what are you here for? And when he saw his picture, he looked at me, and his eyes looked straight at my eyes, and he said, to serve. And this morning, this morning when I, when I turned in here, there was this guy, the first car to arrive was Jensen, and he had his car all the way out there, and he was carrying the signs out on the street. He did it all through winter, and Jensen, I don't know if you got this, bro. You are the first person. Last Sunday, we had 700, don't applaud, guys, 733 people run through this building. 
733 people came here, but you were the first to come and put that sign into the grass. So whatever you do in the house of the Lord, you may be thinking it's too little. And I'm telling you, in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, there's nothing that's little. Everything is big. So here's my words to you. Are you a pizza cutter? Are you a blender? Are you a fast car? Are you a family car? Are you a luxury car? I don't know what you are, but I will tell you something. When you come to the house of God faithfully, when you open the doors and you say, God, I want to be in the pillar of your cloud. I want to be a circle of influence to those that surround me. God will speak to you and teach you in his house how to live that purposeful life. Please close your eyes and bow your head. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I'm confronting you this morning. I'm confronting you this morning. I am confronting you this morning. I know you're, in, I know you're not in your comfort zone. That's okay. Do you want to live a purposeful life? Do you want to guide your family? Do you want to, do you want to have that great ministry? Do you want to achieve that? Do you, do you want to overcome do you want to have a better business? Do you want to have better finances? Do you want to have a better marriage? Do you? Do you want to have it? Keep your eyes closed and listen to my voice. I'm asking you a question. Pay attention and answer this to yourself. Do you really want to? Why did you come here this morning? Why did you walk into this building this morning? Why did you actually come here? What, what, what are you doing? Are you here to serve? Are you here to be served? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Do you understand the importance of church? Do you not understand the importance of church? Do you understand what I'm challenging you at? I'm telling you that most Moses did greatness and the only way he did greatness was because he went to the house of God and he honored it and he loved it and he respected it and he inspired it to those that surrounded him. And I'm telling you that your presence here today inspires me to preach this sermon. So there's no way possible that you're here and you're not sufficient. There's no way possible that you're here and you're insignificant. You are here this morning and you make a difference because you wanted influence in the house of God. You got up and this morning you got dressed and against all situations you decided to put God first. You decided to do like Moses and be equipped. And I'm telling you that's the first step to greatness. I'm telling you that the veil has been torn and you have a chance to walk into the presence of God. You are an influence to those that surround you. And God's calling you out right now. And he's telling you, are you ready to love my house and take care of my house and serve me? Are you ready? Are you ready to do more for me? God's saying, are you? Are you ready to understand the importance of God? Are you ready to honor the house of God? Have you been feeling it inside of you? Do you have this desire to do something greater? If you do, then I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet right where you are and stand there and raise your hands and say, God, that's me. You're speaking to me, God. You're using Pastor Carlos, but the message is for me. I need to be of influence to those that surround me at a whole new level. And I can't lead three million, but the ten I have, the six I have, the two I have, the ministry I have, I want to be of influence. I want to keep focused. And I know the only place to do that is like Moses in the house of my father. So, Father, here I am in your house, standing before you, standing before you, standing before you, and asking you to be upon me, to fill me with your presence.
I honor you, God. Father, we stand before your presence. I pitched the tent this morning, God. And some people came to inquire within it. I'm Moses pitching the tent and they're inquiring, God. And they're standing before your presence. So I ask you, Father, now let us finish as this crowd finished. Let us all stand and worship you. Because we honor and we bless your church, your house. And we know there's more to it in our lives. This month, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Because I'm going to teach you how to be a powerful Christian in the name of Jesus. I'm going to teach you how to be an exceeding, abundantly anointed person in God. The veil is down. Now I'm going to teach you how to use the power. The first thing is you need to be in the house of God. And right there where you are, I'm going to give you a chance to be able to worship your God and praise him and acknowledge the great God he is. Sing with us, church. Sing it with all your heart now. Thank you, White Church. We will have, I'd like to ask the ushers to come into the aisles, please. Now is the time we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. If-